Lord, we thank you that we can gather here together. We thank you that in a world of chaos and uh, just tumultuous times that there's a place where people can gather and experience the goodness of God and the grace of God and worship him. And so we thank you that that is what happens here. We thank you that that is what is happening this morning. We thank you that there are people who are striving all week, battling things, fighting uh, for purity and for righteousness and to walk with you and that they come in on Sunday morning to be with each other and to remind themselves of why they do it. So we just ask that you would encourage us, keep us firm in our faith during these trying times and give us a glimpse today of who you are as we listen to the word preached to us. We thank you for what we've already seen about the character of God. We thank you that he is good. We thank you that we are seeing who you are in deeper ways each time we come and hear one of these messages. And so we pray even today that as we see your goodness and the fact that you show us more of yourself, that we would be tuned to what you say, that we would be open to whatever it means about our lives, and that we would be obedient to whatever your word says. We ask that you would give Pastor Richard the words to say, give him confidence and boldness to speak without any restraint, and may you be glorified and honored in the words that are spoken today. It's in your name and for your glory that we, we worship and that we pray right now, and we say amen. I'm sure that some of you, when you look at the title of my message, uh, grammatically you're having a, a breakdown. You say, that don't, shouldn't that be, I hope you're doing well? No, I hope you're doing good. In light of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared before the world began for us to do. So no, I do hope you're doing good. I hope you're doing many good works. It's amazing. Over the past weeks, we, we saw the goodness of God displayed through what he created, through waterfalls and mountains and bumblebees and beaches and, and butterflies and, and cats and dogs. God expressed his goodness through the good things that he created. And what's so cool about this verse is while he was creating the world on his calendar also were the good works that he had planned for you to do even before the world was created. The goodness of God is described in some in the Bible as his generosity. You say, well, what does it mean for God to be good? It certainly doesn't mean that he shields us from all pain on this earth. No, it means that he's generous. He enjoys adding to our joy by giving us tangible, the meeting of tangible needs, pleasures that increase our joy in life. You see this in Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good. Then look what his goodness does, meets tangible needs. He redeems us, gathers us, delivers us, leads us, and satisfies us. So that's what goodness does. It is a generosity that leads to the joy of, of another so last week, we looked at four responses to the goodness of God. Today, we want to look at the fifth. What's the proper response to a good God? And that is you yourself imitate his goodness. He designed us in his image, which means that he originally built us, that we would love goodness. That image got marred because of the fall and the sin. But through Jesus Christ, he's given us his spirit, and his Holy Spirit causes us to love Again, love not keeping, but love sharing. Not hoarding, but love giving. He has given us a new desire for 
goodness. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. Let our hearts be large toward our fellow creatures, creatures, just as the creator is toward us. Shall we hoard his goodness, not distributing it to those in need? Should we be like a grocery store that is full of food, yet does not open its doors? If God's hand is open to all, our hands can be closed to none. So God's called us to live and devote ourselves to to good works that were prepared for us on God's calendar before the world began. So how can you know? Here's what I want to do today. How can you know, am I living a life that is about the good deeds of God? There are five indicators that that's true. Goodness, number one, helps people experience forgiveness. Psalm 25.7, remember not the sins of my youth, or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, Lord. So God demonstrates his goodness in the sense that all of the sins that, that have marked and stained our life, God says, I'm not going to remember them. I'm going to erase them. And so when we are giving our life to good deeds, we're going to be the most exciting thing that we can do in our life is announcing to the world that there is a God who removes and not remembers your sin. Number two, how do you know you're living and pursuing good deeds? Goodness helps people develop an increasing affection for God. Acts 11, right when the church was just growing, the church leadership sent Barnabas to a city called Antioch where a great revival had broken out. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, and he was a good man. So here, goodness associated with the life of Barnabas, that when you're you're living a good life, People around you will have an increased affection for God, increased joy, increased zeal. They'll want to discover their spiritual lives. They'll want to know, they'll feel compelled to give their life away by your encouragement in their life to do so. Number three, how can I know that my life is about good deeds? Goodness helps supply basic needs. Titus 3.14, sort of a, purpose for work type verse. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So there's a right, there's a wrong kind of busy in life and there's a right kind of busy in life. So the right kind of busy should be, I'm going to spend my life, my energy, pouring my life into things that will allow me to share and meet needs among those who are critically forgotten and oppressed. You know, most of the time we look around in life and say, God, if you're good, you ought to do something about that. You ever said, God, you ought to do something about that. And you know that song says, I did. I created you. So you remember the, when Jesus saw there all the hungry people after he preached, maybe a long sermon, and they were all hungry. And the disciples said, hey, we sh- you should feed these people. And Jesus told the disciples in Mark 6, you give them something to eat. And when they stepped out in faith and tried to, then Jesus did the miracle, which he always will. But it starts with you give them 
something to eat. Fourth way that you can know is your life about goodness is you will help people gain freedom from oppression. Short book of the Bible, the book of Philemon, it basically has three characters in it. There's a business owner named Philemon. There's a servant, slave in his, in his business named Onesimus. And then there's the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. In this book, Onesimus, the servant, ran away from the business owner and ended up in a city where Paul had been in prison for preaching the gospel. And Paul writes back to the business owner and says, hey, your servant is with me and he's incredibly useful. I really want to keep him here, but I know that you all would like to end on a better note than him just being a runaway. So I'm going to send him back to you. I'm sending the slave back, but I want you to set him free when I do. That's how Paul said it. I could be bold and order you to do that. Love, this is such a setup. I could just use my apostolic power and say, you got no choice in the matter. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but by your own accord. He said, I want you to free this man and give him the dignity of a free life by goodness. That's what goodness longs to do. Goodness longs to see people set free from oppression. Number five, goodness always points to God's goodness. Are you living a good life? Then you're going to just be a spotlight for Jesus. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We give ourselves to good deeds that we might have the opportunity to tell people about a good God. Ultimately, we perform good deeds so that in the presence of people who've done bad things might know that they are loved by a God who desires to restore them and fill their life with his goodness. Our goodness is to advertise his goodness. We have a chance with all of our good deeds to preach the gospel, to tell them, a paraphrase of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, he gave, because he's good, he gives, his son, that whoever believes in Jesus would not be cut off from God's goodness, but would live with him forever. If we simply do good deeds so that people see our goodness, then they will die and be separated from God forever. And that's not a good thing. So, we don't want praise. We don't want to be noticed. We want any notice of what we've done to reflect the goodness of God and his willingness to forgive people and bring them into his kingdom. How sad it would be if everything we did on earth ended up causing you at your funeral to be said, wow, they were such a good person. That's why one writer said the other day, rightly, justice without Jesus is just us. 
and how sad it is if all that we do as a church and all that we try to do around the world just tells people about us. We want to tell people about the one who can make them good again, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the next few minutes, I want to introduce you to a ministry that's called, been called to announce God's goodness in about the, like the five ways that I just mentioned. Uh, the ministry is called Set Free. Uh, the theme of their ministry is to provide freedom through Christ, and they operate uh, or they serve children and the medical needs and water wells and churches. Just an exciting ministry, and we're going to hear from uh, them again in a minute, Roland Bergeron and Sarah Kelly. Before we do, just a brief little video to provide you a feel for what Set Free does. such a joy today to welcome Roland Bergeron and Sarah Kelly, uh, founder of Water of Life and new executive director of Water of Life. And uh, I like interviewing Roland because his life reminds us of what it's like when you take a step of faith into the Lord's work. He opens one door and then another, and you couldn't predict from the beginning how it's going to end. And I also like Water of Life because some of you are wondering what kind of ministries and church should I pour my life into this is what you want, working for eternity, working for the freedom uh, of, of slavery uh, in Jesus' name, and, uh, and providing basic needs uh, such as medical care and, and water. Um, I, I love interviewing Roland because his life, it's amazing that all of this that you're about to hear about today started after age 50 for him because you didn't know the Lord uh, until about, just tell us how you came to know Christ. In my late 40s, uh, like so many people are looking for uh, what life is really about, and my son at the time was starting to date girls, and he kept on dating Christian girls. And two Christian girls that he dated, first ones, both broke up with him after about three months because, you know, they said, if you don't know Christ, we can't go any farther. So the third girl that he started dating, he decided to go to church. Uh, long story short, he started going to church, fell in love with it, became a Christian, and his life was changed. Well, my wife and I just, you know, saw this happening, so we started going to church, and shortly thereafter came to Christ in 2000. So all of this happened in Greenville at Brookwood, Correct. where you are now, and so when you started attending, and obviously an avalanche, a, a fire hydrant of information, what were the first things that God began to impress on your heart now that your mind was renewed? Well, 
you know, when I, when I first became a Christian, it's kind of like, okay, what now? And uh, obviously, I, I wanted to be a good Christian, whatever a good Christian is, but, but I wanted to be a good Christian. And so I thought and, and was advised a good place to start was read the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. And again, with good advice, don't start in the Old Testament, start in the New Testament. So I just started in the New Testament and started reading Matthew. It didn't take long for me to run across in Matthew, and, and Matthew's still my favorite gospel, where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered, love God with all your heart. <coughs> and, um, you know, that, love God with all your heart is, is really an interesting command, because how do you love God? You know, it's just not, I don't think it's obvious how you love God. But then the answer, he gives the answer to the problem mm -hmm. in commandment number two, which mm -hmm. is love people. Uh, so I found, and, and, and this wasn't all instantaneous at the beginning, but I found that that, that is the, really the answer to loving God is to love people. Mm -hmm. Well, the end of Matthew ends with the Great Commission, which is go and make disciples all over the world. And I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly. But, but it's, go and tell everybody is how I you know, term it. And again, over time, all those three things became kind of my guiding principles. And then one other, which was throughout the Bible, you'll see over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament, where God says, or Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, so, I love God, so I got to obey his command. Um, so, Roland, you know, I long for these people as God would have them providentially to be here to not miss a worship service because I know that God every Sunday has something unique and you were telling me just this past week when we were downtown that it wasn't a church service with a guest speaker that God really did all this to just tell them what happened when somebody came and spoke. Later in 2000 when, I, um, when we had become a Christian we had a guest pastor come and speak to us his name was Fenton Moorhead. He started a ministry called Living Water International in Texas, and he talked specifically about emissions. And Pat Fenton's heart is all about missions, about telling the, the world about Jesus. And uh, so he talked about missions, and he talked specifically about um, not traditional missions. I, I don't know what you all think about you know, the traditional missionary, but a lot of people come to mind as you know, a little gray-haired old lady you know, with a with long skirt and, you know, and you know, the, the whole stick of, 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 of the missionary couple. But he says, you know, drill water wells, you know, go and, and provide water to people, and that's a great way to share the gospel. And so that was really the first time I heard God whisper, and he, the whisper was, you could do that. Well, after Sunday, you know, I just went off and, like, everybody else got busy. He came back later that year to become our missions pastor, and he talked about missions again in church and talked about water ministry. And the second time, God was talking a little louder. <laughs> and he said, you need to go do that. So after the service, I went up and talked to Fenton and, uh, and introduced myself and said, I think I want to do this. And that started the whole process of, of getting trained to do water wells. And uh, here I am. So, Roland, when we talk about water, just briefly describe to people that have already showered this morning and had so much water that we have it in bottles, so we can give you as a guest, what's, 
What's the situation in the world? Uh, right now in the world, there, the consensus number is over 800 million people don't have access to clean water. Um, that number floats around and it depends on what you define as access to clean water. Um, the average distance a woman in the third world has to walk to get clean water is 3.7 miles. So a considerable amount of their day is spent walking to get water. Both the women and the children are walking to get water because usually one trip, if you've got a large family, one trip doesn't do it, so you've got to make multiple trips to the water source. Um, coincidentally, the, the places where water is very scarce and clean water is very scarce is also the places where the gospel is pretty scarce. Mm. So that opened up doors. <clears throat> I know you began in, and I know you began in, in, in South America and then God rocked your world by sending you to Africa and then not just to Africa but to, to, to villages that were primarily Muslim. So when you're drilling water wells in, in Muslim villages in Africa, you know, like what is the time frame that you're there? What's the reception you get? And, and what is your goal during your time there? Every place we go, our goal is to, to uh, clearly present the gospel to the people. That's the foundation of our ministry. That's why we do what we do is so that we can have a chance to share the gospel. In all places, we work with local partners, so it's not a bunch of white folks showing up in a, in a village in Africa uh, sharing the gospel. It's the local pastors, local priests. In India, it's all the local Indian priests and, and or not priests, but pastors showing up with us. So they've gone ahead of time. They've, they've chosen the villages we go to, and then we go and drill a water well. Um, and you can imagine if you don't have clean water in your village, someone comes in and says, I'll give you clean water. We usually get a pretty good reception. Um, in the Muslim communities, we usually get a very good reception as well. And, and oftentimes the imam will say, okay, you can drill water wells and we know you're Christians, just, just don't talk about it. And of course, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So it, it gives us an opportunity. We're usually there a total of about five days with the drilling crew. Our, our drilling crew is all good Christian people. They take an opportunity to, to talk to people, make relationships, share the gospel. Our local pastors in every country and every place have a plan to take, the, take advantage of the water well drilling to plant churches because we're not just going to, to, to plant churches. So... We use Jesus video heavily in all the countries, um, and then we will go with a group of pastors at different times and meet with the people and share the gospel, and invariably uh, people will come to Christ, which leads to a church being planted. So um, you go for seven to ten days, show the Jesus video, God begins to open up work in Africa, and then all of a sudden... India is not exactly next door to Africa. How in the world you pour in your life first South America, then Africa, and then this major adjustment? How did set free end up in India? Um, I didn't want to go to Africa. Well, let me put Actually, I didn't want to go to the missions at all to begin with. But I didn't want to go to Africa. And uh, uh, then one day in 2010, I received a uh, Facebook post. Actually, a, a message on Facebook. 
from a pastor in India, Praveen Chakravarthy, and he just sent me a message saying, I'm, I'm a pastor in India, and I'm going and, and sharing the gospel, and every place I go, my people, the people need water. They don't have access to clean water. So my response was a kind response, which is no. <laughs> and I was kinder than that. I said, you know, we're not working in India, don't have any plans, blah, blah, blah. This is the, the, the standard brush off we, we give people. Uh, I didn't put in there, I'll pray for you. But, I, that's, <laughs> but anyway, you, you got to know Praveen to understand that he doesn't, you know, he's, he's the most spirit-driven guy I've ever met in my entire life. And he doesn't take no for an answer when he thinks the spirit is on his side. Um, and I, I will say that we were the, I was the only one, we were the only organization that responded to his outreach to 39 different organizations around the world, most of them Christian organizations that drew, drew, uh, to, to do water wells. And uh, so anyway, he writes me back and says that he appreciates that and starts telling me about his ministry. And I, you know, started tell me more, and he asked me about our ministry. So we started a, a email conversation. No. Did I do something? I don't think so. No. They'll fix it. Okay. They're, they're brilliant. Anyway, we started an email conversation, and eventually, um, it, uh, you know, it, just like going to Africa, you know, I couldn't, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd think about going to Africa, and then I'd wake up in the night and go into India, and I just couldn't find any peace. Uh, until I finally decided, to, I went one morning after breakfast and told Jane, I said, I got to go to India. And uh, she said, say what? <laughs> uh, but uh, and once I decided to go, then all of a sudden, the peace of God came over me. I, you know, I knew it was the right thing to do. Booked a ticket, flew to Hyderabad, met Praveen on the, uh, you know, at the curb in the Hyderabad airport. Uh, Everybody in my life told me that I was crazy for going or not to go because India was this horrible place. But uh, as, as you just gotta follow God's leading, it's just it. You can't let people stop you or discourage you. Uh, so I went to India, we, we went out, visited some villages. I had brought enough money to drill what I thought would drill a couple of wells. Praveen was very presumptuous and he had a well driller meet us at the first village. He was just, build, he was just building a church there. They already had some members at the church. They didn't have any water. They were walking a little over three miles to get clean water and it wasn't really even clean water. They were getting it out of a horse trough uh, or a cow trough, but uh, anyway. So that night made a decision to drill the water well and we drilled our first water well in India. And, and uh, the, I guess the rest is history. We've, since then we've drilled over 600 water wells in India. Um, we've, we have over a thousand Christ villages in India. The, the wonderful thing about Praveen is he thinks way bigger than, than I do. Uh, most of the places I go, people are really looking for a few believers and to plant a church and get there, whatever it is, 60 or 100 or 500, whatever it is. Praveen goes a place and he believes that, that the whole village should know Christ. Now, not that they all do. In fact, none of the villages, I'll tell you, all the people know Christ. I can tell you that all the villages that we work in, everybody has heard Christ because they have a plan to do that. And anyway, his goal is to make the village a Christ village, and it solves a lot of problems. 
when they declared it Christ Village, the Hindu priests are kicked out of the village. So there isn't the opposition there. And they really become a family and they start teaching Christian principles, which are totally different than Hindu principles. Uh, in India, we're dealing with almost the all the lower caste. And in the caste system in India, particularly the lower caste, there's no hope. There's none. Um, they don't have, they're just none. The only hope they have is they, they good, be good enough and they will be reborn into the next cast up, but there's, you gotta go through that step a whole bunch of times. And everybody I've ever asked said, well, have you, you know, have you done enough good stuff to move up the ladder? No, you know, they're human, they're just like us. They don't, they don't have any expectation. They're only hoping that they don't go backwards because in Hinduism you can go backwards when you're reborn. <laughs> you can be a cockroach in the next life. So anyway, we, we, um, we're, we're going and we're drilling water wells in, in Hindu villages. We have over a thousand Christ villages. And we think of a village here, maybe a couple hundred people. In India, a village is anywhere from about 1,500 people to five or 6,000 people. So this isn't just a small group of you know, people. It's, it's, a, it's a large group. And you know, you look at a woman like that, and again, she, she has been taught by hundreds of years of culture that her lot in life of poverty is her own fault from a previous life. And you come and you tell her that God loves her and that he's, he sent his son to die so she can live forever in the city of God. It's, there's nothing more satisfying than to do that in, in that country. Roland, you know, I look at the set free uh, budget and I mean, I, I know your emphasis, uh, Sarah. I know, I, know, I know it's church planting. Uh, I know it's water wells, but so much of the budget is about the care of children. And so um, how did children become such a part from water wells to church planting and yet now such a heavy emphasis on children? How did that, have, how did that become a part of the ministry um, of Set Free? Do you want me to start? You were there, so oh, okay. yes. <laughs> I was in 2011, and uh, there, there was a, uh, in fact, it lacks me the, the girls' pictures on the screen there. I got an email from, from Praveen with this picture and said, you know, please pray for Lakshmi. She's 13 years old. She's a slave in a slate mine, and they've just started sexually abusing her. And so I sent that out to Facebook just to kind of tell people a little story about India and, and um, several people said, what can we do about this? So, um, you know, talk to Praveen. For $2,500, we could buy her out of slavery. So a couple of people donated the money. We bought her out of slavery. But when you take that there's some 14 million kids in slavery in India, $2,500 a piece, is, it's not a viable alternative. And also, you start thinking about it and what you don't want to do. These people who take advantage of these kids already use them uh, uh, for business. I mean, that's, that, that, that's just m money. The kids are, are just money. And so you just make it more profitable. If you start buying kids out of slavery, you just make it more profitable to go get more. Um, and so we want to, uh, wanted to avoid all that. So uh, I came back and I was, according to my pastor and several other pastors and people, I was a royal pest. <laughs> I couldn't get it out of my mind. I, I knew it was God's challenge to go do something about this. In fact, 
I specifically God heard God tell me in my hotel room after visiting the first quarry that the reason, you know, because I told God, why don't you do something about it? And he said, I sent you. I'd advise when God tells you to do something, just go do it. Shut up and, you know, just just go do it. So I became a pastor. Uh, God had already spoken to my church. They went off and they had a retreat and they decided that they, that God had brought this to them. So Brookwood Church in, in Simpsonville decided that they were going to take these kids on a project, raise the money to rescue kids because one of the requirements of getting them out of slavery by the government is you got to do something with them. You can't just take them out and dump them on the street someplace. So we raised the money to, to house them and feed them, and it was 800 kids, turned into 1,200 kids, uh, turned into, uh, well, now it's, we're caring for over 9,000 children, and we've rescued over 40,000 children from slavery since. Uh, yeah, Sarah, you know, again, for our culture, it's very difficult to understand how a child could end up in slavery. I want to ask you about COVID in just a minute, but just to backtrack, financially, how is it, just explain how a trafficker, human trafficker, is able to go to a village and persuade somebody, let me have your child. How does that work? And then we'll amplify it now with COVID, but how, how did that happen? Yeah, so more times than not, about 71% of the children that we've rescued found themselves in slavery in the first place because their parents took out loans to meet kind of basic needs. And when they could not pay these loans back, their children were taken as payment. And sometimes it's just outright kidnapping. The loan agents will come through and just take them. Sometimes it's deception of this, you know, a couple kids will come and work for me for four months and that'll pay off your family's debt. Well, the kids are resold and the families are never seeing them back. So, in kind and you can kind of think of it as if we were to go and take out like a title loan or a payday loan or some of those very predatory loans that we have here with our children as collateral. So you got this promise by a trafficker: you're in debt. Uh, I'll loan you sixty dollars. Comes back in ninety days. They can't pay it. Give me your child. I'll provide a skill in the city for them. They can learn sewing or something. And the child just never returns. Um, they're taken like to the rock quarry. Is that right? Yeah, they're taken to rock quarries are most common in the area that we work with. There's also um, some brick factories that come through. But yes, like Roland was saying, it's once they're in slavery, it's a business. And so you may start off here and then they're sold to another mine owner. And there we often find children very far from home. They don't stay with the initial person who bought them. So, you know, I certainly have watched Set Free develop through the years from water to now to children. And then just recently talking to you all that all of this human trafficking has been amplified because of COVID. So tell me, I mean, so much on our minds today as evidenced by these masks. So how has COVID even amplified the problem? Yeah, so in around March and April, not unlike here, when the world shut down hard, the exact same thing happened in India. Difference there is that they didn't have 
unemployment or stimulus checks or there was no, both no financial help. And so when they shut down, again, we deal with the very poorest of the poor, the untouchable. So it's already hard for them to find jobs just based on their social class. And then when the world shuts down, there's no employment. And so they are faced with the very real choice of take out a loan or starve to death. This was compounded by the fact that India's whole economy is based on a market system. And so it's not like you go to Walmart and a bag of rice is $3.99 and you go in COVID and it's still, well, maybe $4.50, but prices all of a sudden tripled. And so both they did not have money and the price of goods went up exponentially. And so around this time, we saw a huge number of families within the villages that we work with start to take out massive amounts of these loans again. And so we could see a potential problem on the horizon that come 90 days, six months from now, there are going to be a lot of children because their parents can't pay back these loans. Yeah, so um, I was shocked, did not know this, but one of the new ministries of Set Free is working with these loans uh, prompted by COVID. How? Yeah, so we... When I became aware of these problem, I just started asking people to pray. Like, I don't, I see a problem coming. I don't know how to fix it. Just, I ask people to pray. And in a board meeting, after some several conversations, one person came up and was like, I think, I think we can do something about this. And together through conversations with the donor conversations with our partner and Praveen, kind of how would this work? We created a prevention program where working through the existing network of pastors that Praveen has, identifying villages where there's large proportions of these loans that have been taken out. There's a very high risk that a lot of these children are going to end up in slavery. And so through some generous donations, we've gone through and we've paid off their loans directly with the loan agent. So there's no chance that the loan agent is going to come back and say, you know, you still owe me this money, give me your children. So their loans are paid off. This alone, we've only started it since July, has prevented best estimates over 400 children from going into slavery. The families then can repay back at much more affordable terms to us over the course of a year. That money then gets funded back to be able to pay off more loans to prevent more children from going into slavery. Yeah, so just imagine you're about to lose your child over $60 and Set Free pays that loan off for you. And then they set up a payment for your own dignity that you can repay that loan uh, over the next year. So $60 divided by a year. And 98% is what they're telling me. 98% of the people made their first payment uh, in, in August. Uh, and so it is working. And and uh, children are being kept from being taken from their homes uh, through these loans. So, Sarah, you know, you talk to a group like this and you go, you know, um, I have 100, 200, 300, I don't know, dollars. What difference can I make in light of 14 million slaves and a billion people without water? Like, how do I, I feel like maybe my life doesn't, can't make a difference. So how, how do you respond to that? Yeah, no, I, I can relate. I am not bankrolled with a lot of money. There's also, 
I think just to, sometimes we can see problems and they can seem really overwhelming. On the kind of ministry side, I can look at the 800 million people who don't have clean water and you know, 18 million estimated number of people who are in slavery in India. And I think sometimes a human reaction is just to, you know, throw up our hands like, oh, the problem's too big. We can't solve it and just want to walk away. But the fact of the matter is we can go into one village and drill a water well for five to $10,000, kind of depending on the depth. We can prevent a child from being sold into slavery for $60. We can care for a child who's been rescued for about $58 a month. And we can do that in one village and for one child. And then we can do that in the next village and the next child. And just kind of step by step, continuing to share Jesus with them, continuing to see that change. And then, you know, one day you look up and you've given clean water to a couple million people. You've rescued 40,000 children from slavery and particularly through, you know, partner have baptized and millions of people have now known Christ. And so it's just one of those, you do it for one, you do it for the next one and kind of everybody working together. It's just magnified. And speaking of working together, there is an opportunity and really COVID is going to work in our favor this year for, um, for, um, for the uh, the banquet, tell us a little bit about how this works this week. The the gala. Yeah, so we could not make it easier. And that if you still want to get dressed up in a fancy dress, you are more than welcome to. I will be watching it in my pajamas. And so this Thursday, starting at 7:30, we're hosting our gala virtually. And so. You can head to setfreealliance.org slash gala, register. It'll give you an emailed reminder. Um, if you forget or if Thursday night's bad for you, it'll be on our website later for you to watch the replay. But it's an opportunity. You know, you've heard from us for 20-ish minutes. Um, won't take up more than an hour of your time. But really hear more from about what we do from the ministry. We've also got directly from our partners. So you can hear from them directly kind of what they're up to and what the partnership was set free. So just an opportunity to learn more and then an opportunity for you to respond and become involved with set free. So again, just that I could get the details right. The gala is this Thursday. This Thursday, 730, setfreealliance.org slash gala. Yeah, and they could just, anywhere on the website, they're going to find the gala. Yeah, there's even a pop-up. So if you go there right now, it'll, you know, one of those annoying things that come in the middle of the screen, that's for you. Just click it. And I want, I want to let you all know that our church uh, has long believed in Set Free, and so we're, we're always giving to the ministry, and um, so it, it's something we love. So whether you do it through Hope Point or just go to the gala online, you need to know that you have the backing of this leadership that we like. We love what God is doing through this ministry. Let me pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for our salvation that someone told us about the goodness of God and the city of God and a Savior who makes us good even though we've done bad. Thank you, Lord, that someone told us, someone sacrificed their time, someone was courageous, someone loved us, someone took a risk. And now, Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for all of these, all of these children, all of these villages, 
All of these people longing for water. All of these people longing for love. Lord, they're hearing throughout Africa and India because of missionaries, because of well drillers, because of children that have been set free and are now back declaring to their villages the Christ who set them free. Father, we ask your blessings right now upon the work there. We know it's opposed. Lord, they'll not make it unless your Holy Spirit pours out new power, fresh anointing. So I pray for Roland, for Sarah, Praveen, all well drillers, all caregivers, all those who dispense medicine, water, medical care, housing, preach the gospel, show the Jesus film. Lord, we pray that even today, right now, would be a strong advance of the gospel in India for the tearing down of strongholds of slavery, the setting free of children and their families. God, we beg you in the name of Jesus Christ for the spirit of darkness that is oppressing these dear ones, that they would be set free by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, through the blood and resurrection of Christ. Set free, God. Set free these dear ones in India. And we pray for all those oppressed throughout the world. Come, Lord Jesus. Descend your power upon churches and ministries that are setting free the lost. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.